My name is Kurt McDonald. I'm one of the pastors at Gospel Community Church. I want to talk with you today about the Training Day podcast. That's right, the Training Day podcast. The Training Day podcast exists to continue your learning so that you can be equipped for every good work in every day life. Our hope with the Training Day podcast is to create a resource library for you, your friends, your family, uh, whether you've been a believer for many years, new to the faith, or not a Christian at all. We're hoping that this will be a resource library for you so that you can learn what it looks like to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and land it in everyday life. So we want you to subscribe to our podcast. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find us there on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever. You can also find us on our YouTube channel, The Training Day Podcast, or our website, trainingdaypod.com. So please go subscribe and let's grow together in Christ. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Know me. My name is Kirk McDonald. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and this morning it is my great privilege to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he add his blessing to it. Uh, quick note on this. A uh, few weeks back, we started this section in Corinthians uh, where Paul begins by saying, uh, and now concerning the spiritual gifts. And so there is a ton of material to cover uh, concerning the spiritual gifts. Uh, and so what we wanted to do is essentially supplement uh, this material um, <clears throat> with this book here. Uh, so this is a book by Sam Storms called Understanding the Spiritual Gifts. And just like last week, uh, we have several copies outside uh, for you. They are free. Uh, take them only if you're going to read them. So if you want to read this book, the church is offering this book to you for free. It is outside. It's not in the lobby because we don't want people congregating and such. The book is outside uh, at the ticket booth area for you to read. If you're an audio person like I am, it's also on audible.com. If you're a huge power theological nerd like me, you can do a monster deep dive. This book here, uh, it, it, it's called Our uh, Miraculous Gifts for Today. It's essentially laying out the different views held in the church uh, from cessationism to continuationism to uh, Pentecostalism, uh, and essentially they give their position and then each person responds. Uh, if you want to read until your eyes go crossed, this is the book for you. Uh, it's a fantastic read if you're wanting to do a deep dive into spiritual gifts. So uh, concerning spiritual gifts, here is what we have seen uh, thus far. The Apostle Paul has instructed us uh, that the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts to every believer. Amen? The Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts uh, to every believer. Just look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 7. He, he says this in verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So not only are you given spiritual gifts, but the reason that you are given these spiritual gifts is not to terminate on yourself, but it is to be a blessing to other people. 
That's the reason you are given these spiritual gifts. Now, there's a variety of different gifts. As a matter of fact, he, he begins to list all these spiritual gifts. I'm just going to start reading uh, in verse 8 from chapter 12. He says, For one is given the utterance of wisdom, to another utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy. Uh, so there's a variety of different gifts that are given. And so what we need to ask this question, we endeavored to ask it last week, is this. Are these type of so-called miraculous gifts for today? Okay, When we say miraculous gifts, here's what we mean. Prophecy, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, and healing. There are some in the church that believe that those gifts have uh, ceased. They, they no longer exist. They, they existed to show that the apostles were true apostles and, and to see that the gospel went out. And so now that the gospel has gone out and the apostles no longer exist, those gifts no longer exist. And so what we said last week is that we do not hold to that position. We hold to the position that the gifts still exist, and not only do they exist, but we should be praying for them and searching for them, and for these, uh, these three reasons. First, we clearly are told to seek miraculous gifts. So why do we believe that these gifts are still in, in, in action in the church today? Because we're clearly told to seek the gifts. Look at uh, chapter 12, uh, verse 31. Uh, he says this at verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, or 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So we, we're clearly told to seek the miraculous gifts. In addition, there is zero textual evidence from the Bible that would lead us to believe that the miraculous gifts has ceased. And third, church history tells us that these gifts are alive and well throughout the church age. This is why we hold to a continuationist position. So here's our response. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. We are proudly reformed in our soteriology and charismatic in our view of the gifts. We are proudly reformed in our soteriology. What does that mean? Uh, soteriology is the study of salvation, so we believe that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Amen? It is God who does the work that saves us, that pulls us out of darkness and into light. God does that work. So we are proudly reformed in our soteriology, and we are proudly charismatic in our understanding of the gifts, meaning we believe in prophecy, we believe in speaking in tongues, uh, we believe in interpretation of tongues, all of those things, um, and as they are ordered and should be uh, in our services. Now, here's what we need to do. We need to get to chapter 13. Uh, and so <laughs> you've got this, uh, man, this list of spiritual gifts in chapter 12, uh, all this talk about prophecy and speaking in tongues. If you look over at 14, I mean, he just keeps talking about prophecy and speaking in tongues, and he's going to clearly outline how it should be ordered within our service. And then then you've got chapter 13. Uh, it, so it kind of seems like the Apostle Paul is talking about spiritual gifts, and, and he's, he's trying to put in order in this church how the spiritual gifts should work. He doesn't want them to be over one another, talking over one. He wants it all to be done in an orderly way. And then it kind of seems like he drifts off into this like whole other subject, the subject of love, and he gets all mushy and sappy, and he's talking about love, and we should love each other, and then he gets back to spiritual gifts. Well, that's not it at all. It seems that way, but that's not it at all. Here's what we must understand, the context of chapter 13. And so um, chapter 13 is one that, who has ever been to a wedding ceremony where 1 Corinthians chapter 13 has been read? Okay, so, so you've been to that wedding. Now, is chapter 13 
about married couples. <laughs> so it certainly applies to married couples, but that is not the main audience. Paul is speaking, he, he is writing this chapter of love to a local church body. So again, married couples would do well, would do well to apply this chapter to their marriage, but the main audience or the main intent of this, this encouragement to love one another is meant for the local church body. Okay, so we must understand the context of chapter 13. In addition, we must understand that he is absolutely not off topic at all. He's not off topic. He wants these people who are using their spiritual gifts to, to lift themselves above other people in the church. He, he is acknowledging that that is selfish, that they are using their gifts to terminate on themselves, and he wants love to be the guardrails of how they use their spiritual gifts. Okay, so who, who has been bowling with their children? Or maybe you're just a terrible bowler, and, and, and they put the guardrails up, right? So, and, and so you've you got the spiritual gift bowling ball, and you roll it down the lane, and the, the guardrail is love to make sure that the ball doesn't roll into the gutter. Or, or another analogy would be this. The, the spiritual gift is, is a locomotive, and it's, it's a train, and the tracks for the train is love. It keeps that train going in the way that it should because when a train is off of the tracks, that's very, very dangerous. Amen? That's very dangerous for a train uh, to be off of the tracks. Sam Storm says it this way, if love does not shape how we use our spiritual gifts, they are worse than worthless, they are dangerous. Church family, let me tell you a story about a worship leader that I knew. He, he was incredibly gifted, incredibly gifted musician. Uh, he, he could, when he sang, he ushered in the spirit. He could play any instrument. He was incredibly talented. Yet off of the stage, he did not love the people of the congregation. As a matter of fact, he felt it beneath him. And as that culture went on, that toxic culture that he created, what happened to that church is it shrank to half its size. Because here's what happened. His gifting outpaced his capacity to love. Let me tell you a story about a church planter that I knew. Theologically brilliant, sharp as a tack. I mean, could, could exegete the scriptures like nobody's business. He, he was the epitome of an entrepreneurial leader in the church. I mean, he, he was set up to just plant this amazing church. Yet the reason that he was planting that church is because he had this desire to be the next celebrity pastor. He did not love his people. He didn't love his sheep. He wanted to use his sheep. And so what happened is his desire to, to be desired led him to an adulterous affair, and the church no longer exists. When your spiritual gifts outpace your capacity to love, it is very, very dangerous. Let me tell you another story uh, about a, an elder in a church that I knew. This church was in a total mess. And this elder comes into this church. He helps uh, add structure, systems, and processes in the church so that the church was flourishing and functioning and, and, and doing really well. And all of a sudden, the church started to grow. But that elder, instead of loving the people, began to become bitter at the people because no one acknowledged what he had done for the church. And so he used his spiritual gift of persuasion and gathered a bunch of people to himself, and they opposed the lead pastor. The church split in two, and now neither exist. Because spiritual gifting, his spiritual gifting, outpaced 
his capacity to love. When your spiritual gifts outpace your capacity to love, it is very, very dangerous. The church at Corinth was incredibly spiritually gifted. I mean, they were receiving prophecy. They were speaking in tongues. They were interpreting. I mean, these, these are young people. These are talented people. These are cosmopolitan people. And yet, they did not love one another in the church, and it was very, very dangerous for them. So what Paul is going to do in chapter 13 is he is going to show them a more excellent way. Just look at the end of chapter 12. Look at the end of chapter 12, this last little sentence. He says, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And last week, I ended the sermon by saying, what is the more excellent way that the apostle Paul is talking about? Here it is. It's the way of love. He wants to show them this more excellent way, which is the way of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's dive into the text. He says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, I would love to spend a lot of time talking about what it means if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Um, hey, you guys aren't under the assumption that the angels only speak English, right? <laughs> Think about that. Okay, but we don't have time to talk about that. We got to stay on the topic of love. Um, so he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Notice here that, that what he's doing is he is speaking in the first person. Look at it. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong. Notice that he doesn't say that the gift of speaking in tongues is a noisy gong. He's saying that he is, he becomes the noisy gong because he is using his gift in a way that is not loving. So, so, so what, what we have to understand is that this church was abusing gifts. They were abusing gifts. But his answer is not to get rid of the gifts. His answer is to use those gifts in love. And so that, that's what happens a lot of times. In, in, in like more conservative churches, they see other churches abusing spiritual gifts, uh, abusing the gift of speaking in tongues, abusing the gift of prophecy. And so they say, oh, we, we, we don't want to, we've seen them abuse the gifts. We don't, wanna, we don't want that here, so we're just going to get rid of them. The problem is they don't apply that same logic to the rest of the spiritual gifts. What about preaching? Have you seen people abuse preaching? Absolutely. But nobody wants to get rid of that, just those gifts over there. And so we have to understand that Paul here is speaking in the first person. It is not the gift that becomes harmful to the body of Christ. It is the person who abuses the gift that is harmful to the body of Christ. Verse 2, and if I have prophetic powers... Again, that is receiving a, a word from the Lord that is to be delivered to his people. If I, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, when Paul says mystery, he is talking about something that can only be revealed to you by the Lord and all knowledge. And if I have all faith, again, that faith there is that, that faith that believes that God is going to work or act so as to remove mountains but have not love. Listen to what he says. I am nothing. I mean, th these, these are some amazing gifts, are they not? 
The, the gift of, of prophecy, the gift of believing for people. I mean, so, so when he says the gift of faith that can remove mountains, this is the idea that you get a word from the Lord that, that a breakthrough is going to happen for somebody else, that, that somebody who is, is struggling with addiction or struggling with a difficult marriage, and you have faith for them that, that this mountain in their life can be removed. Is that an amazing gift? That's an amazing spiritual gift to have. But he says, if it is not used with the, uh, the guardrails of love or not keeping that gift in check, then you are nothing. Listen to how it gets even more extreme. Look at verse three. If I give away all I have, what gift is that? That would be the gift of generosity. He's saying <clears throat> that you are so gifted with generosity that you give away ev- everything that you have. Every, your house, your car, your clothes, everything that you have, you give away to the poor. That's an, that's an incredible gift. If I give away all I have, and listen to this, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. If you give yourself as a martyr to Christ, yet you are not filled with love for other people, it's nothing. It doesn't mean, any, what, what, what do you gain? Zero, zilch, nothing, nada, it's nothing. This is how extreme the apostle Paul is, is going with this. Now take note, church family, this principle, the principle of love, not only extends to spiritual gifts, but it extends to every arena in the church. What do I mean? I mean that our, our concise theology at Gospel Community Church, if it's not paired with love, it means nothing. Our top-notch kids ministry, if it's not paired with love, means nothing. Our, our, our uh, great leadership structure, our effective leadership uh, training programs, if it's not paired with love, it means nothing. If love is not the supreme ethic of the church, it is ineffective, dangerous, and means nothing. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying to us. We have to have love. Now, what does it mean that we love one another in the church? What does that look like and how does that operate? What he does next is he gives us 15, count them, 15 big ideas of how love should operate in the church. And we're going to try to do our best to get through all 15. Are y'all with me? Okay. So uh, today we're probably going to end at verse 7 unless the Lord comes back before then. So I'm going to try to get through 7. But what we have to do in order to get through verse 7 is we've got to work through 15 uh, of these uh, big ideas about how love operates. Look at, look at verse four. Love is patient. That's the first one. Love is patient. Love is patient means it's staying when it's hard to stay. It, it, it's patient. It, it stays. It chooses, being patient is choosing not to retaliate. It's being slow to act. It's not rushing to criticize. This is being patient with people when you feel like yelling, Seriously, right? You've been, come on now, y'all been in that community group. Somebody said something just like really outlandish and you feel like going, seriously? You feel like rushing to criticize, you feel like, but what we do as a church, we love each other and we are patient. We're patient with each other. Not only is it patient, it's kind. Now, I'm glad he says it's not only patient, but it's also kind because you can be patient and not rush to criticism, but still be bitter in your heart. You, you can stay silent, 
Um, even when you have warrant to, to like verbally go after somebody, you can stay silent and still not be kind, right? I mean, you, you could do that. You could just stay quiet and bitter. But this says not only are we to be patient, but we are to be kind. It's not just the absence of lashing out, right? <laughs> it's not just the absence of lashing out. It's not just the absence of responding sharply, but it is the presence of responding warmly. That's what being kind is. He says, love is patient. Secondly, love is kind. Thirdly, love does not envy. Hmm. Okay, um, are, are y'all wearing steel toe boots this morning? I'm going to try not to step on your toes, but I just might. Here, here's what happens with envy. Envy is, is incredibly sneaky. Envy creeps into your heart, sets up shop, and just kind of starts to grow. This is why we have to be careful about envy. If you're taking notes, in essence, envy is born out of pride. Envy is born out of pride. What do I mean? Because it begins with the belief that you deserve, because you're such an awesome person, what they have. Why, why do they have that? Right? So the, the, the thought of why do they have it and I don't is a prideful thought because you're assuming because you're so awesome that you deserve what they have, right? Why do they have to have a, a, a good, healthy marriage? And I don't. Why do they have the gift of preaching? Why, why do they have this gift of being able to, to play any instrument? And I mean, everybody in the church just loves them. Why do they have the gift of hospitality? Why did they, again, it's assuming that because you're so awesome, you should have what they have. And now you're, you're bitter because you don't have that. That's what envy is, but love does not envy. Love is able to see somebody succeed and be genuinely filled with joy for that person because they're succeeding. Listen, even in areas where you're not succeeding, that is what makes it really, really difficult. With something that you've been trying to do, a career move that you've been trying to make, a relationship that you've been trying to mend, and yet you see somebody else succeed at what you fail at, do you have the ability to be filled with joy for that person when they succeed where you have failed? Okay, it's quiet. It's real quiet in here this morning. <laughs> okay, love is patient. Love is kind. Third, love does not envy. Fourth, or boast. Love does not boast. Boasting is that great talent that many of us have to let everybody else know how awesome we are. Right? It's a... It's a uh, <laughs> It, it, it's, it comes up sometimes in subtle ways, doesn't it? You, you find yourself boasting in subtle ways. You, you say things like this, I got to where I am because I worked hard. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, really? You, you got to where you are today because you were, well, that may be true, but you were also gifted by God to get where you are today. That, that, that's a real subtle way that sometimes we can boast and, and tell other people how awesome we are. Boasting is comparing yourself to others and commending yourself on your success. Again, this is taking the conversation back to you. You ever caught yourself doing this where, where you're in this conversation and you've just told somebody this accomplishment that, that you have achieved and they go, oh, cool, that's great. And then so the other day I was and you're like, wait, 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 I, we, we were talking about me. Why are we, why are we moving on in the conversation? Let's, let's just sit here and reminisce and talk about my great successes and how awesome I am. Why, why are you moving on in the conversation? This is how we can catch ourselves boasting. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy forth. 
Love does not boast. Fifth, it's not arrogant. Love is not arrogant. This is someone that is full of themselves. Other translations will say, love is not puffed up, not puffed up, arrogant, right? Uh, If you're taking notes, the epitome of arrogance is the inability to be wrong. This is that person that is just never wrong. See, my, my problem is, is that I'm not arrogant, but I'm also just never wrong, you know? So I've got I've to figure out how, you know, how to deal with that. But um, my wife's in the room. She knows that's not true. So to, to believe with full confidence that you are always right. This is, the, again, the person that can never be wrong. This is the person that when you disagree with them, they go on a tirade and explain to you how, how, how dumb you are because you have not landed at their same conclusion. This is the person that disagrees with you when you try to do something maybe just a little bit differently than what they try to do. They're going to explain to you why their way of doing things is far superior to the way that you're doing things. This is someone who is... Arrogant, again, if you're taking notes, arrogant people believe that you are stupid if you do not do things the way that they do or hold the same views that they hold, and this is devastating in the life of the church. This type of attitude that believes that you can never be wrong and explains to people how way off they are because you're not doing it the way that they do it, that is what creates a toxic culture in a community group. That can create a toxic culture on a church staff. That can create a toxic culture in all of the church when arrogant people come in and disrupt the life of the church. So fifthly, love is not arrogant. Verse five and number six, it's not arrogant. In addition, it's not rude. Love is not rude. I think what Paul is getting after here is, is that person who's pushy. They, they push their way into conversations. They, they, they try to push their way onto being center stage. Uh, again, they're pushy in conversations in community group to where they just continue to bring it back around to them. This is somebody who is, is just simply being rude. Rudeness is cutting someone off to talk about your point of view and your life experience. That's rude. That's being rude. And love does not do that. Love is not rude. Number seven, it does not insist on its own way. Wow. Love defers, right? That, that's, that's what this means. It, it does not insist on its own way. Love defers. Love asks the question, what's going to be most beneficial for you? Love asks the question, how can I serve you? Not, not what can I get out of this, but how can I be a blessing to you? How can I love you? Uh, how can how can I serve you. Now, uh, if you've been in and around church for longer than five minutes, you've heard someone say, we have to do it this way. Why? Because this is the way we've always done it, right? That, that is that, that insisting on your own way. This, that we have to do it this way. The Apostle Paul says it differently in Philippians 2.4. He says this, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Number eight, it's not irritable. Love is not irritable. Well, what does that mean? That's, that's the person who is overly sensitive. That's the person who's easily offended. You, th- this is the touchy person. Th- this is the person that you have to walk on eggshells around because if you're not careful, like one misspoken word, boom, they're gonna nail you. They're touchy, they're irritable, they're defensive. You, you can't point out a flaw. You can't, in love, go to them and say, hey, brother, I think, I think that you're off here. 
Why? Because they're irritable, they're defensive, they're, they're touchy. Let me just ask you this question. Have you ever said something without thinking? Anyone in the room ever said something without thinking? It just comes flying out and then you realize it was offensive. Well, when others do that, that's the stuff that love lets slide. We all have done it. We've all said something without thinking. Again, there you are sitting at coffee, or there you are talking with a friend, and all of a sudden, blah, it comes out, and you think, oh, that was bad. <laughs> what, <laughs> what did I just say? I should not have said that. Because you know that you have done it, you allow grace for that other person. Immediately, you go, I'm, I'm so, I didn't, that's not, that's not the way I meant that to sound. Here's what I meant. And so in love, the other person says, I understand, brother. You're cool. You're good. I, I, I know that's not what you meant. I understand. That's what love does. That's how love responds. It lets that kind of stuff slide. It's not irritable. How about this one? Love is not irritable. Number nine, love is not resentful. Another translation says, love does not keep a record of wrongs. Oh, married couples. I told, now, again, this is directed to the church, but married couples, this, this is for you this morning. So it says, do not be resentful or does not keep a, a record of wrongs. Again, this is the scenario where they did sin against you. They, they did do something wrong. And so what, what we like, what we love to do is we like to, to get that imaginary pad out of our back pocket and go, all right, mm-hmm, jotting that one down, got it, it's in the books, and I'm going to keep my little notepad of the thing that you just did to me, I'm going to keep record of the thing that you just said to me, and then later on, two weeks from now, when, when you say something, I'm going to pull that notebook out and remind you of what you did. That's being resentful. That's being resentful. It's being hurt and saying, okay, you hurt me. Now I've just closed the door on you. Door is shut. Lock is on. Forget it. I don't care how sorry you are. You're not getting through this door. I just closed it, right? Because you hurt me. That's being resentful. And if they don't close the door, if it's not a you hurt me and therefore I'm going to shut you out, it's you hurt me and now I'm going to get you back. You, you did three wrong things to me? Well, guess what? I got four coming your way. You know, you, you, you said something mean to me? Well, I got two things coming right back at you. That's being resentful. And listen, closing the door on someone or seeking to get them back is insanely anti-gospel. Aren't you, aren't you glad that when we sinned against the Father, that when we sinned against Jesus, he does not seek to get us back. He does not close the door on us. Aren't you glad that he opens the door and welcomes us in, not being resentful, but with the gospel of grace? Aren't you glad, church family? You see, if you're taking notes, the resentful person can only see the ways you hurt them, but cannot see the ways that they have hurt others. They don't want to see the ways that they've hurt other people. The reason they don't want to see the ways that they've hurt other people is because they know that they need grace, and then they would see that they have to extend grace to you for the ways that you've been hurt. It's real quiet. Okay, <clears throat> love is not irritable. Love is not resentful. Verse 6 and number 10 in our list, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Now, I'll just, I'll just let you know, I, I sometimes discover this in my heart. 
okay? Uh, when it says it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, sometimes we like it when other people mess up. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm telling you, I've, I discovered that in my heart, and that's something that, you know, you, you see somebody do something, they, they mess up. And the reason that you can like it when other people mess up is because it makes you feel more self-righteous. Oh, I would never do what they did. The, the other reason that we can sometimes rejoice in wrongdoing is because we get to say the phrase that everybody loves to say, I told you so. I knew, I knew they were going to do that. I knew they were going to mess that up. I, I, I told you so. I would never do that. That's how we rejoice in wrongdoing. But this says love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. You see, the truth is love weeps over wrongdoing. When we see another brother or sister in Christ stumble, when we see another brother or sister in Christ walk away from the church, when we see another brother or sister in Christ totally just torpedo their marriage or torpedo a relationship, we don't rejoice in that. We weep over that. We weep over that. Number 11, love rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. This is someone who sees someone doing something for someone else and encourages them and, and points out, man, I, I, saw you, I saw you helping that. I saw you serving that person. That's amazing. I just want to rejoice with you and say, and say, good job, brother. Thank you for loving these other people. That's somebody who is rejoicing in the truth. More specifically, they're rejoicing in the truth of the gospel. And so it doesn't matter that in the middle of community group, this person over here is able to minister the gospel to this person over here. You, you don't get offended by that. Well, I wanted to do that. It's fine. The gospel is being proclaimed. The gospel is being preached. We, we applaud when Phil is up on stage leading us in worship. We don't resent him or envy him or point fingers at him. We rejoice in the truth, the truth of the gospel that's going out. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Verse 7, so what, what we get next is, I mean, I'm telling you, verse 7 will change your life if you, if you let it sink in. I just want to read all of them, and then we'll, we'll go back through and look at each one. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Is this, is this beautiful to you, church family? This is incredible. Let's think about these together. The first one is this, love bears all things. You know what love does in the, in the body of Christ? Love helps us put up with other people's weirdness. <laughs> Y'all, hey, I got some, I, I got some weirdness. I, I got quirky things about me, weird things about me. And so what love does is love just says, hey, you're weird. I'm weird too, man. I love you. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go with that. It's, it's fine, right? Love bears <clears throat> all things. Now, this does not mean that we don't hold people accountable for their sin to say we bear all things. If somebody is sinning against someone else, we don't just go, hey, love bears all things. We're just going to put up with that. Absolutely not. That's not what it means. In addition, love bears all things. Love believes all things. Now, again, as a disclaimer to this one, that doesn't mean that, again, you're sitting around in your community group or you're at coffee with somebody and, and they start talking heresy. You don't go, hey, I, I believe you. Well, of course not. If they say something that's outside of Scripture, that, that's not, what, what is this calling us to then? Well, it means to say it believes all things. It means that love believes the best about someone. I, I, believe, I don't just assume that you're out to get me. I, I believe all things. I believe the best about you. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. I love this one. Love hopes all things. 
Jot this down, church family. Hope is the refusal to take failure as final, not because we have the power to fix it, but God does. Listen to me. No matter how broken a relationship is, God is powerful enough to fix that relationship. That's hope. So, so if, if you've been hurt by somebody else in the church, the, the way to hope all things is, is to believe that God can come in and heal that. Again, the, the same thing applies to your marriage. No, no matter how bad it's gotten, hoping all things believes that God has the power to come in and heal and to fix. Amen? Amen. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Fifteenth, lastly, can you believe we did it? Love endures all things, meaning this. Love does not get overwhelmed and quit. Love does not say, this person in the church offended me, that's it, I'm out. This this church, it it said it was going to do this, but instead it did this, I'm out, I quit, I'm done, forget it. No, love endures all things. Love says, uh, again, for those of us who are covenant members here at Gospel Community Church, love honors that covenant. I covenanted with this church. This is not a perfect church, but I made a covenant to stay here, to be here, to love the people that are here. And so I'm gonna honor that covenant. I'm gonna endure even when things are painful, even when things are difficult. If you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 rules out cynicism and despair towards people in the church and in your marriage, not because you believe in the power of humans to change. So to, to hope all things and to believe all things is not placing our trust in the human's ability to change. Like, I just, I believe you're going to fix it. I believe we can work through this. No, no, absolutely not. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 rules out cynicism and despair towards people in the church and in your marriage, not because you believe in the power of humans to change, but you believe in the power of God to change humans. This is the incredible, the incredible power of love. Okay, so I said we we're going to stop there, and what I want to do now is really just look at practically what do we do with this? What do we do with this incredible list of, of what love is supposed to look like and what love is not supposed to look like? So there, there was both in there. Did you see that? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love, so this is what love looks like, but then it doesn't look like these things. It's not envy, envious. It doesn't boast. It doesn't... I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. Why are you here? Meaning this, why are you a part of this church body? Think about that. Answer that question in your heart. Why am I a part of this church body? Here's the way the people in Corinth were answering that question. The people in Corinth were answering that question. Why am I a church member of the church in Corinth? I am here to have my emotional, spiritual, and physical needs met. That's why I'm here. Is that why you're here? Have you come to this church so that your needs are met? If so, that is going to be a huge enemy of love. Now, let's think about that answer for just a second. Are you all with me? I want to think deeply about this answer because this is very crucial. Why am I a member of Gospel Community Church? If your answer is, I am here to have my needs met, that's not a terrible answer. Let me explain why. 
because the church is here. God gave us the church to meet our spiritual needs, amen? You, you will lack what you need if you are not a member of a local church because God designed the church to meet your needs, okay? So again, let's think about this deeply. But that cannot and must not be your primary reason. That, that's the difference, church family. That's the difference. So does the church meet your spiritual needs? Absolutely, it should. You, you should. Your spiritual needs should be being met because you're connected to other brothers and sisters in Christ. You're hearing the word preached. You're, you're able to engage in, in ministry and mission, right? That, that's gonna be meeting some of your spiritual needs. That's fine. But that must never ever be your primary reason for being a part of a local church because the moment the church stops meeting your spiritual needs, the, the moment the church doesn't meet that specific need that you, that you have, you go, all right, but then, then there's no reason for me to be here. I'm out. I'm, I mean, there's, there's 37 churches down the road. I'll just go find one of those. So having your needs met can never be the primary reason for church membership. The primary reason that you are here should be, I am here to love and serve and sacrifice and give myself and my life away. That should be the primary reason why you are a member of the church. Listen to the way Jesus says this in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you prophesy. Does it say that? No. Uh, uh, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you speak in tongues. By this, uh, they, they will know that you are my disciples if you're insanely generous. No. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Church family, write this down. The primary reason for engaging in the life of the local church must never be to have your needs met. It must primarily be to meet the needs of others in love. You see, church family, this text is calling us to find our joy in staying committed to serving other members of the church and placing their needs above our own. Okay, that's really hard to do, amen? Placing other people's needs above your own, and, and if Gospel Community Church is actually going to do 1 Corinthians chapter 13, how in the world are we gonna do that? Here's how we do it. We do it by daily crucifying our comfort, by daily crucifying our need to be right all the time, by crucifying our schedule, things happening when we want them to happen. We must crucify those things, church family. We must crucify them, lay down our rights, and lift up the needs and the rights of others. This is what this text is is calling us to, to crucify our comfort, to crucify our need to be right, to crucify the fact that you were offended. That's what this text is calling us to. I'll close with this. Gordon Fee, in his very helpful commentary on Corinthians, says this, you can replace the word love in this text with the name of Jesus. Just look at it. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice in the wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Jesus endures all things. I wonder if we would be brave enough to put our own name in there. 
can those things be said about you? Kirk is patient. Kirk is kind. Kirk does not envy or boast. The reason that we need to aspire to these things is so that individually, is so that these things can be said about our church as a whole. Gospel community church is patient. Gospel community church is kind. May that be our goal. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we praise you and praise your name for giving us this amazing text. God, we thank you for inspiring the apostle to write down these beautiful words. Lord, I pray that Gospel Community Church would be known uh, for love. Uh, I pray that when someone thinks of Gospel Community Church or uh, whoever engages in the life of Gospel Community Church would be able to say with all certainty, this is a place of love. Lord, may the world see that we are your disciples because we Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.